have started in the book of Luke, not because it was Christmas time, but because this is the good news of Jesus Christ for all time, for every week, for every day. So we're going to uh, continue in Luke 1, 57 through 80. This is, this is God's holy inspired word for us today. So please listen to this and don't listen with Christmas kind of story ears. Listen as if this is the first time you've heard this. Let's read God's word. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our great father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us this account to reveal yourself to us to show us the kind of God that you are. Lord, to reveal your mercy, God, to show us your goodness. God, I pray that we would, we would see this passage not through the eyes of the Christmas story that we normally look, but Lord, may we see this passage that for what it has to show us about you and about ourselves and how, about how we respond to you. God, I pray that you would, like you filled Zechariah with your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill each and every person here, as you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit, that we might understand, we might have knowledge of your salvation, that we might proclaim your salvation. And God, I pray that you would make our hearts and minds alive to you. Help us set aside all distractions, Lord, and help us hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, I do, I love Christmas. I love all of the decorations. 
I, 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 love, I love the shared time of celebration. I like that people are joyful, that they're joyful about giving. I like that there's extra care and concern for other people that's engendered even in unbelievers. I, I like the whole holiday season. I like most Christmas songs. I say most. I, I hate all those sappy ones and about Santa and like dashing through the snow and all that garbage. Um, I, and if you like them, I'm sorry, that's your fault. Um, but I, I love... But I love the songs that proclaim Jesus at Christmas time. And today, you know, I, I came downstairs from my office and I saw that all the Christmas decorations had been put away. And, and it, I, I thought, wow, I, I, I miss it. But I was also thinking I'm glad that it's put away because it gives us ability to focus on life and focus on day-to-day and focus on what God has for us in the new year. And, and when we think of a passage like this, I hope we put all the trappings of Christmas away. I, I hope that we say, okay, this is not just a Christmas account. This is not just a, a story that we tell every December, but this is a passage that, that gives us wonderful truths about God. It shows us how we can relate to him, the wonder of his salvation, without all of the holiday wrapping. And I think as we remove all that kind of holiday wrapping, what you're going to see in this passage is that it's all about God's mercy. This passage, yes, it's about the birth of John the Baptist to come. It's about the coming Savior, and it's about the ministry of John the Baptist, and, and Zacharias sings in the middle, but, but really it's all a song, it's all an account about mercy. And I want you to look down your Bibles for me, and you, you have to say, okay, wait a minute, is that really true? Well, look down your Bibles with me. Look in verse 58. It says, her neighbors and her relatives heard, and listen to what they heard. Here's what Luke is highlighting, what God is highlighting for us. They heard what? That the Lord has shown great mercy to her. The Lord has shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced. And that's what verses 57 and 66 are really all about. God shows mercy to those who believe so that those who believe might rejoice. Now look down at at verse 72. Look down at verse 72 in your Bibles. It tells us the cause or the reason behind God's salvation. It says, look in verse 72. It says, to what? To show, say it out loud, mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. And then look at the why in verse 74. Look at the why in verse 74. So that we might be delivered from the hand of our enemies, so we might serve him without fear. So mercy, God shows mercy so that we might serve him without fear as well. And then I want you to look down at verse 78. It tells us why God gave John to give people knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of sins. Look at, look at verse 78. It says, because, because of the tender, say it out loud, mercy of our God because of the tender mercy of our God. And, then, and look at what he writes in verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness. That's what we're saying about today. To give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So mercy, so we might rejoice. Mercy so that we might serve without fear. And mercy to put our feet on the path of peace. This whole passage about, is about God's mercy. His mercy that's meant to do something, to function in our lives. And it begins with this focus on the birth of John so that we can see mercy to those who believe, so that we can see that it's supposed to result in rejoicing. That's what we see. Mercy is, is being shown to those who believe so that they might rejoice in him. And that's what we see immediately in this response, that the people all around, the neighbors, the relatives, 
They're gathering here. If you remember the early account of Luke, it tells the story of how Zechariah, he went into the temple and he was shocked. This, this really old geezer of a priest, he goes into the temple. He's surprised by this angel Gabriel. Gabriel says, you're gonna have a baby, your old barren wife, she's gonna have a baby. And he's like, yeah, right. And the angel makes him mute. He disciplines him for not believing. And now we see that it's, it's almost 10 months later, because in, by the way, if you have not had a baby yet and, and you realize that 40 weeks is not really nine months, it's a little longer. But anyway, so it's, it's, it's 40 weeks later. And now it's time for Elizabeth to give birth. His wife had believed automatically. She had believed. And now we see the moment where, where God is, is making good on his promises. He's bringing about his promises to the people who believed. And imagine the scene. People are, they're overjoyed. There's, it says the neighbors have gotten coming in, in. The neighbors are there. The relatives have come. And they're all there to see the circumcision. This time when, when they will uh, circumcise the baby as a, as a marker, a sign, external sign of the covenant that God made and then entry into that covenant. And so they're all excited. They can't believe that a baby is really here, that this old woman and this old man, that somehow they, the people who were barren, they once were completely unable. Now they have a baby. And they're overjoyed. They're a little curious. And they've gathered. They've heard. They, they know that this is an evidence of God's mercy. And that's what they say. It says this is an evidence of God's mercy and, and they rejoice. And, you know, I think, I think we're meant to rejoice. And I don't downplay that when you see rejoicing over a baby being born. That's good to rejoice in any evidence of mercy that God gives us in our lives. And every time we, we have a new birth in the church, we want to celebrate that because we, we see that's God's mercy. It's not a guarantee. It's not a given. It's God's mercy. And we're meant to rejoice as a community. We're meant to rejoice in the church together when we see that others have received God's mercy. And that's why I love seeing this picture of rejoicing. And this scene is this big crowd is all around and they've come to celebrate the circumcision of their son. And it was a time also when the baby's name would be announced and, and they're all excited about that and they're looking forward to that. But Zachariah, he's kind of in the background. He's not really talking. He, it, it's doubtful that he can hear because it says they're making signs to him. And they're, like, they're, they're calling him Zechariah. Well, in the ESV it says they would have called him Zechariah, but the, the literal language is they were actually doing that and that's what they wanted to call him. Now that's kind of funny if you think about it. This is not the parents who wanted to call him Zechariah. This is the relatives. This is the neighbors. They're like, hey, how's baby Zach? And, and they're all gathering around. And I can just imagine, you know, if we had our first child when we had Noah and and, and if our relatives and neighbors come around, they're like, oh, look at baby Matt. And I'd be like, what? No, that's not the name we picked out. But this is even more because it's not the name that God had picked out. God had called John. And so really, this is a test. This was a test for Elizabeth and for Zechariah. Would they, would they give in to the customs? Would they give in to culture? Would they, would they go along because they were afraid of what people would think about them if they named their kids something weird? Something different, something was not a part of their family. And the people really respond. They, they, they would have called him Zachariah, but the, the English is a little, little downplay when it just says no, because it's an emphatic no. No! Mom interrupts 
She's like, no way. He's going to be called John. That's his name. And, 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 I, and I love that John means God is gracious or God is graciously merciful. And that's what God's doing. He's bringing his gracious mercy to bear. Even though naming him Zachariah would have been the custom of that day, that's what would have been expected. But Elizabeth, she wasn't about to obey the customs. She wasn't giving in to the fear of man. She was filled with faith. She chose to believe. And then she put feet to her belief and she obeyed God. She says, no, his name will be John. You know, normally you'd expect then at that point when you say, no, 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 <laughs> no, he's not, he's not baby Matt, he's Noah, or he's, he's not He's not Zachariah, he's John. You would expect maybe the relatives, or, or at least maybe the neighbors at least, maybe they would be like, oh, okay. You know, and they kind of like nod their head, kind of like when people respond when they hear a weird name that somebody tells that they're going to be naming their kid, and you're like, oh, you're naming your kid Boxcar. That's really cool. That's unique. Where did you hear that? But they don't even respond politely. And you know, they don't say, you know, huh, I, I wonder, you know, what, have you thought about another name? They, they responded like, why are you doing that? No one in your entire family has that name. That's not a family name. And they're, they kind of get upset. And then here's the thing, they, they ignore mom. Now, by the way, if, if you ignore a mom who's just given birth, that's just not a good idea. She... She's like, I, I birthed this baby. I, I, I was involved in all the work to bring it about, so you have no right to call this baby anything else. And so, but they are saying, hey, well, nobody else is called John. And so they ignore her, and then they turn to Zechariah. And Zechariah, he's at this pivotal moment. He can choose, am I going to give in to custom and tradition? I'm a priest after all. Will I name him after myself? Or will I believe and obey God? And he's still mute, by the way. And, and, I, and I love that he responds. He says, give me, you know, give me the ancient iPad. He, he asks for a tablet, and he, he writes on this tablet, and he says, his name is John. He's, he doesn't equivocate. He's, he's not doubtful. He's not like, well, I think maybe John's a good name. What do you think? No, he says, his name is John. And really, that was an evidence of his response of belief, his response of faith in God. And faith in what God had said, his, his obedience to God, not fearing man, choosing to honor God instead. And I love in verse 64, it says, immediately his mouth is open. Not, not, not like a, a delay, immediately. As soon as he repented and believed and had faith, as soon as he acted on that, as soon as he gave evidence of his repentance, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed. He could speak again. And everybody was floored. They were totally shocked. He had been mute for over 40 weeks. Suddenly he could talk. And, and the first thing he does is he blesses God. That's what, that's what results when we see the mercy of God. Zechariah was, he believed, he experienced the mercy of God personally, and he responded with rejoicing. He blesses God. Instead of fearing his neighbors, now his neighbors were afraid because they thought, oh no, something miraculous has just happened. Not only is this a miracle that these old people I don't know how old they were, 50, 60, 70. I know it would be shocking if, if I had a child right now. It's not medically impossible, but boy, it's pretty close. Um, but, you know, could you imagine someone who was barren for 
their entire lives seeking to have a child. And yet, God shows mercy to her. And then God shows mercy to Zechariah, opens up his mouth. When he repents, God shows mercy. They didn't accept the customs around them. They didn't give in to unbelief. They didn't fear. And blessing and freedom, it came when they had faith in God's word instead of bowing to the customs around them. And I was thinking about that. It's not the main idea of the text, but, but boy, you know how often we are pressured into giving in to the customs of the world around us and we don't believe, we don't have faith and, you know, and, and people today, they are choosing all kinds of customs that run counter to God's commandments. And this is just a mild custom, the custom of naming, but it, it took a lot of guts to go against that. But today we're, we're forced with all kinds of customs are accepted that run counter to God's commands. You know, people are customarily involved in all kinds of things that are not godly, not good, not what God has commanded. All kinds of customs from pornography or sex before marriage, living with other people, choosing your own identity, but divorce because people don't feel in love, abortion, all kinds of customs come common, and yet God commands his people to believe in his word and obey his words. And when we do, it, it, he shows us his mercy and it's meant for us to rejoice. When Zechariah, he obeyed and he was healed. He erupts in this joyful praise. And really, I think the same is true. That, that reaction that he has, it's the normal reaction for anyone who's experienced God's forgiving grace. It's, it's the normal reaction for, for any of us when we experience his mercy is for us to rejoice. And, and maybe if, you, if you're not rejoicing, it's because you don't understand the mercy you've been shown. Well, as soon as all the people around saw this miraculous healing, they connected it to Zechariah's naming of their son. They knew that John must be special. And then clearly God's hand was upon them, and they were aware the Holy Spirit's presence was there. This was unusual. And Zechariah started prophesying, and they wondered, what kind of kid is this? You know, every, every parent, when they hold their baby, wonder what in the world would they grow up to be. But, but they knew this was unique beyond that. God was really involved in bringing about this child in a unique way, and he inaugurates it with a prophetic word. And then what we're going to see is, is that God gives Zechariah this prophetic word so that people can see the reason God shows mercy is so that we might not fear, so we might serve him without fear. And that's the whole theme of, of 67 to 75 is that God shows mercy so that we can serve him without fear. And Zechariah, he, he bursts into song, and he kind of has several different parts of the song. He talks about the promise that God made to David, the promise that God made to Abraham. And, and the whole reason that all of God's promises are fulfilled is so that he could show mercy so that his people could serve him without fear. And you might think that this new dad, he'd be really excited to start singing about his son, but he doesn't start there. He sings about the one through whom mercy will come. He begins not singing about John. He's beginning to sing about the Lord and how he's visited. God is not distant. You see, it's been over 400 years since people had heard a prophecy from God and, and they thought God must be distant. He says, no, God has visited his kindness. God has taken the initiative. He's come down. God has, has taken the initiative to show his mercy to his people. He's visited us. He's redeemed us. Do you know that God, if you know Jesus today. 
if you have heard the good news of the gospel, you need to see that that is an evidence of God's visitation to you to redeem you. He says he visited us to redeem us. He's making good on the promise he gave to David, he talks about it. And it says in Psalm 132, he's referencing this psalm, I think. It says, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of your sons, or the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant, my testimonies, I shall teach them. Your sons also shall forever sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation. Her saints will shout for joy. And listen, it says, There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. And, and Zechariah, he is singing of that day. He says, this is something that God has now visited, this salvation that was promised, he's now visited to redeem his people. Now, when you think of the word redemption, sometimes in, in our common day, we can hear that misused in some ways. You know, it says maybe a quarterback, he's been having a really bad game and he's throwing all kinds of interceptions. He's, he's having a, a rotten time of it. And then maybe the second half, he comes back and he throws tons of interceptions. So the commentators say, well, he's really redeemed himself. That's not what this is talking about. This is, this is not something we do. This is God buying us. He's redeemed us. It's the purchasing of freedom. Because all of us were enslaved to sin on our own. Only God can do that. Only God can mightily raise up a way of salvation because we are unable to save ourselves. And, I, and Zechariah, he's singing about this. He sings about this horn of salvation. You might wonder, what in the world is that talking about? Like a horn you blow? No, this is talking about the strength of salvation. It's, it's vivid metaphor, really, because in that day, the, the horn was symbolic of of a bull and, and, and their strength as they would shake their head and their, they would shake their horns as a show of force. And you knew that this thing was about to charge, something powerful was about to happen. He says, God, you've raised up a horn of salvation. You've, you've raised up a mighty one. And it speaks of, of conquest, of strength and power. God's raised up, God has visited. He's done this to raise up Mighty salvation for us because God seeks to show mercy and redeem. And it's just like he says he spoke by the prophets of old. God's fulfilled all of his promises all throughout scripture. He's promised to vindicate and save his people from their enemies. And we know what kind of enemy this is. This is not a political enemy. This is not government. This is not the Romans. This is, this is not enemies outside, people who are against you. No, we know what kind of mercy it is. Because he talks about the forgiveness of sins in verse 77. To give people the forgiveness of sins. This is the kind of saving from enemies. What are the enemies that we face? You know, every day our, our biggest enemy really is our own sin. Flesh. The devil. Temptation. Shame. Guilt. Fear. Those are our biggest enemies. Our enemy is not a, a different political party than you prefer. Our enemies are far greater than that. The greatest enemies, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. And he said, Jesus, he, he came, he says, to save us, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And he sings of this. The whole purpose of, of God sending this chosen one was so that we can serve him without fear. 
Look down your Bibles. It says, so that we might serve him without fear. Look in verse 74. That's the whole reason why God shows mercy to us. So we might actually have fellowship with him. We might do what we've been called to do, that he might redeem us so that we now are able to do what he originally called us to do prior to sin. We might serve him without fear, without fear of God's punishment, without fear of penalty, without fear and shame, fear of guilt, without fear of death. God's shown mercy to us that we might not fear him any longer. And Zechariah here, he's prophesying about the, the best news ever. And through, so through Jesus, that we can serve God by worshiping him in everything that we do. Your entire life can be without fear if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. If you receive the mercy God has for you, here's the really good news. You don't have to fear any longer. I, 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 I've been thinking about fear over the last couple years probably and how fear influences almost everything that I do. And I think it's true for most of us. Fear, fear is one of our biggest enemies. Fear of failure, fear of we won't be accepted, fear of punishment, fear of feeling like we're not good enough, fear of other people, fear of will I be able to, fear of wondering do I really believe well enough? Does God really love me? Am I really going to be able to do what he's calling me to do? Fear is a huge enemy. It's the biggest, well, sin, death, fear, hell. They're massive enemies. God shows his mercy to us so that we might serve him without fear. Isn't that good news? Without fear. If you're a Christian here, if you've received this good news of Jesus, you are now able to go about every part of your life worshiping him as, as, an, as a sacrifice of worship to him without fear. If you have fear, let your fears be banished. We've received mercy from God on high through Jesus, his son. And he shows us this mercy so that we might have our feet put on a path of peace. I love that that's the focus really of the, the verses 76 to 80, he shows mercy to us so that our feet are put on the path of peace. This is the reason why he shows mercy. He shows mercy so we might rejoice. He, he shows mercy so we can serve him without fear. And he shows mercy because he wants to give us his peace. Not peace that's temporal, not peace that the world knows, not peace that can be threatened, but peace that is eternal, everlasting, unshakable peace. The way of peace, the path of peace. And, and now Zechariah, he's this proud parent. I can imagine he's, he's filled with the Spirit. He's given this prophecy about Jesus. And then he goes over to the crib or wherever the baby's laying and he picks up John and he's holding John and he looks down and he's still filled with the Spirit, still prophesying. And he looks down and he says, and you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. He says, you're gonna go before the Lord. You're gonna prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to the people and the forgiveness of sins. This is what salvation is, the forgiveness of sins, because of, because of the tender mercy of God. And then the sunrise is gonna visit us from on high. I love that we ended worship talking about we once were in darkness, but we're no longer, because that's what this, this song is all about. His mercy has come. So we might not walk in darkness. You ever, you ever walk through a dark forest before? 
We accidentally did that. I think I've told the story before. Of, uh, we went camping once and I forgot flashlights. I had to go back and meet somebody to, to show them where we were camping. And, and it had to walk back through the forest at night. And your mind starts playing tricks on you. You start seeing things. You start wondering what kind of creatures are out there going to get you. You bump it into trees. You're tripping. It, it's hazardous. It's a little scary. It's unnerving. You're wondering what those sounds are. Uh, walking in darkness is not a good thing. You know, I... I, I Many years ago, uh, we bought a, an RV, and it broke down in the middle of the Appalachian, well, the, park, the Blue Ridge Parkway, going through the Appalachians, and, and all the lights went out. And I'm driving with no lights, and then the brakes go out too. But anyway, so the, <laughs> we're, the lights went out, the brakes went out, the steering went out, so I'm having to wrestle the steering this dark path, and it was frightening. A path of darkness is scary and dangerous. And he says, oh, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. God desires to show mercy, to, to give the light of life to us. And, and I love that the book of John begins with saying who this light is, who this sunrise is. It's Jesus who shines his light. He is the light of the world. And so Zechariah, he's singing about this new day that's about to dawn. They've had 400 years of darkness. And now he says, oh, the sunrise is going to visit us from on high. And I went out this morning and saw the sun rise and it was beautiful and it just it dispels the darkness. It makes all things clear. And that's the imagery here that Isaiah is prophesying about. That day when Christ will come, he will make all things clear. He will reveal what's true. He will take away our reasons for fear. And the prophecies that are spoken of in, in Numbers and Malachi, it's Numbers that says, I see him but not now. I behold him but not near a star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break all the sons of, of Sheth. He, he talks about the same sunrise in, in Malachi, the, the last book of the Old Testament, the last prophet to speak 400 years previous. Malachi 4.2, he says, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing, with, with mercy in its wings. And you'll go out leaping like calves from the stall. And that's how Jesus referred to himself too. He says in, in, in Revelation 22, I, Jesus, I've sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And he wants to give light to all those who sit in darkness. Maybe you're still sitting in darkness. He, he came to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide, listen to this, here's why he gives mercy. Look in verse 79. To guide our feet into the way of peace. Walking through this path of life without Jesus is scary. It's dark. But he says he doesn't want us to live that way. He wants us to receive the sun, the sunrise of Jesus to give us his light. So we don't have to walk in darkness. We don't have to walk in the shadow of death, that, that fear of death. Instead now, he wants to guide us. He gives us mercy so that he can put our feet on this path, this way of peace. Peace with God. No fear. Instead, peace. 
I love the Isaiah. He wrote about this day that Zechariah is prophesying about. And Isaiah 9, 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. That's what was happening when Zechariah was prophesying. He was prophesying about the fulfillment of what Isaiah was longing for. Isaiah 42, he says that, that this, this one who would come would, would open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. That is what God's mercy is meant to do. It's meant to open up our blind eyes, to bring us out of being imprisoned to our sin. It's to, to bring us out of the prison of the kingdom of darkness. We were once unable to know peace because our sins had separated us from God. God shows us mercy in, in his horn of salvation so that we might have peace with him, so that our, our feet might actually, every step of the way, no matter what happens in life, our feet can be walking on the path of peace. Peace with God, no matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what worldly enemies are around us, we know we no longer have an enemy of God. We have peace with God. Jesus came so his peace might rule. So his peace might rule. It's not just the path that leads to it, it's the way of peace. And, because, and it comes through the man of peace. And peace is, is really the hallmark of all those who are walking in Jesus. If you don't have peace today, he, I would wonder, do you know the mercy of God? Well, he says in verse 80, the, he gives a summary of John's life for the next 30 years. He grew physically, but most importantly, it says he, he grows strong in spirit. He, he goes off to the wilderness. I, I don't know if that's because he was orphaned and, and the Essenes, they would take orphans and they would go off in the wilderness with him and he might have been a part of that sect where the, where the Dead Sea Scrolls might have come from, but they had secluded themselves. They would learn about God and maybe he was a part of that, but he came out of that because he had a purpose that God had told him to witness of Jesus. And so it says he became strong. He he grew in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Well, you know, so you have John's birth narrative, the purpose that John was called for, the one John was called to testify about, the purpose of John's life, and then the summary. This whole chapter just kind of summarizes John's life until he was about 30 years old. He just gets a chapter. This is the most important character in the Old Covenant until Jesus came to bring the new covenant. This is the most important character really in the Bible in a sense, what Jesus said. He was, he was the greatest man who ever lived. And yet the entirety of his life was about his mission to go before Jesus to prepare a way so people might receive God's mercy and know his peace. John, John's whole purpose in life, his, why was John such a great guy? Because he was given this great commission to tell others to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. And there could be no greater privilege, really, than to prepare the way for people to hear about Jesus. And, and that's what Luke, Jesus affirmed in Luke 7. In Luke 7, he says, this is he, talking about John, of whom it's written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And Jesus says of John, listen to this, he says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Whoa, that's a statement. 
I tell you this, none born of women is greater than John. That's astounding. Why? Because of his mission. His mission is to prepare the way for Jesus, to, to tell other people about salvation of God. But look at the second half of what Jesus says. Nobody else is greater than John born of women. And then he says something else that might seem to be contradictory. He says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus, what are you saying? No one born of women is greater than John, and yet you're saying that anyone who's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he? What he's saying is that no one born of women is greater than John, but those who are born of the Holy Spirit, who are born again into God's kingdom, they're greater. Why, why are they greater than John? Because we now have the full revelation of Jesus, and we have the same mission of John, but we have the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the full weight of Scripture. Now, we too, we've been made righteous and complete in him, and we get to share God's mercy. We get to proclaim it. John's whole life mission was to prepare the way for Jesus, to, to tell people about the salvation to come, to, to explain that there's forgiveness of sins, that God wants to show mercy. And he says that we, we now have that same privilege. We're given even more light, even more understanding, even more grace, even more mercy. What's your life about? Is it about proclaiming the greatness of our God? Is it about proclaiming his mercy? Is it about in every area of your life? And by the way, you don't need to be in, in vocational ministry to do this. In every area of your life, you can proclaim the forgiveness of sins, the, the mercy of God, the goodness of God, rejoicing in his mercy, living without fear, telling other people about his mercy. You, you've been given a great purpose. The same purpose as John, but, but, but really even greater privileges. All of our life is, is meant to be lived as worship in response to his mercy. And we get to do that. No matter what your job is, no matter what your role is, if you don't have a job, if, no matter where you're at in life as a, as a kid, as a student, as a, as a young adult, as a married person, as a, as a person who's an empty nester, as a person who no longer is married, wherever season of life you are in, your life can shine forth the mercy of God. Your life can display the goodness of God so that people can live without fear, so they can serve him, so they can rejoice in him. May our life be about preparing the way for Jesus so that others might rejoice and so they might have their feet on the path of peace. Let's pray. God, thank you for showing us your tender mercy. None of us were deserving. None of us is better than anyone else. None of us have any merit to offer on our own. All of us were lost and in darkness. All of us were in sin and in shame. All of us were enslaved. All of us were in bondage to fear. But God, thank you that you have visited us in the person of Jesus so that we might receive your mercy. God, I pray that we would no longer fear. 
Lord, I pray for everyone here who has believed in you, received your mercy, that, that you would dispel all fears, that we would, we would get that. We would understand that we have no reason to fear. But I also pray that, that you would en- enable us to serve you with joy, with gladness. And God, I pray that we would rejoice in the mercy you've shown to us. That we live, live each day in light of your mercy. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.